Well, as most of you know, earlier this month, we uh, had our seventh annual diocesan synod in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And I did not get to see as much of the city as I liked, but I did have quite a few good meals near our hotel. And at one of these meals, during an early supper on the Friday of Synod, all of the San Antonio clergy and delegates uh, went to a somewhat upscale restaurant near the hotel. And during the dinner, Father Scott from Three Streams, he remarked how this was the first synod where representatives of every parish in the San Antonio Archdeaconry uh, sat and broke bread together over a meal. There is something special about sharing a meal. Indeed, there was a time when our local parishes did not get along very well. That happens in various places from time to time. But as we were recently recalling that positive change, we realized that it began when we uh, started meeting for lunch together once every few months or so. God has designed human beings to be social creatures, and eating together is one of those primary ways that those social bonds are strengthened. Family meals are important. Parish potlucks, like what we're going to have when Father Jerry is here at the end of next month, are important. And even in the business world, uh, any good business person realizes that lunch with clients and with the coworkers is important for the business. So isn't it interesting that the primary uniquely Christian form of worship is in the context of a ritual meal? Holy <clears throat> Communion is quite literally sanctified fellowship with our Lord and with each other over bread and wine, over the body and blood of Christ. Last week I mentioned that Trinity Tide uh, that we just entered into is primarily about our growth in virtue, our fight against vice, our sanctification. But the first two weeks after Trinity Sunday set the stage for that growth by building a foundation of love. So last week we discussed what it means when we read in the scriptures that God is love. And we also discussed the self-sacrificing choice that is agape love in the New Testament. Well, this week we build on that theme by bringing us to an agape feast. So in today's gospel, Jesus tells a parable about such a great feast. And so please turn into your Bibles, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14, beginning at verse 16, Luke 14, 16. And you can find that on page 182 in the prayer book, page 182. Jesus says, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. At the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please let me be excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please let me be excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. So imagine planning a banquet, preparing all the fine china, hiring the wait staff and the caterers, and sparing no expense. You send out invitations months in advance, received all the RSVPs, 
just to have all the guests and last-minute excuses as to why they could not come. And what lame excuses were these, right? Does anybody buy a piece of property without seeing it first? And if you did buy a piece of property sight unseen, it can wait a night. That's okay. I'm in real estate, so I know how that sort of thing goes. <laughs> and, and, and if uh, the, those new oxen, they're going to be in the bar, barn tomorrow. They're not going anywhere. I saw a lot of y'all kind of giggled at the, I, I married a wife and therefore I can't come. She's not keeping him back, y'all. <laughs> In fact, that new wife is probably the ideal plus one to this fancy banquet. This is, of course, a parable, which means that it's a story that points to something bigger. The church fathers and the reformers all agree that the banquet ultimately points to the wedding supper of the Lamb, that culmination of our salvation when we will be with our Lord in the world to come. That is, the invitation to the banquet is an invitation to be a disciple of Christ, to fellowship with him, to be united to him, to become his body here on earth, so that one day we would join him in his father's house. That means that those who refuse to come to the banquet ultimately refuse the call to follow Jesus, the call to be saved from their sins, the call to become children of God. But notice that these were people who knew and were known by the master of the banquet. That means that these people were what were those that we would call today good church-going Christians. Yet nevertheless, they refused the call to the master's banquet. Let's pick up on verse 21. The master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done and there is still room. And the master said to his servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So upon rejection of his banquet by his invited guest, the master then expands the guest list, first inviting those in need of charity and then inviting even random people off the street. In St. Luke's Gospel, a major theme is the kingdom of God going out to those who would have been overlooked in society. So that means that in the immediate context of this passage, this speaks to the gospel moving beyond the Pharisees, beyond the usual religious suspects, and going to the regular folk. But it also hints at the gospel moving from being confined to Israel and going out to the Gentiles. More broadly, though, it speaks to the danger of rejecting the gospel out of, foolish, out of the foolish notion that the cares of this life are more important than following Christ and coming to his banquet. The prayer book applies this parable to the sacrament of Holy Communion, after all, the Lord's Supper is a microcosm, a taste, if you will, of that marriage supper to come. So on page 88 in your prayer book, page 88, we find the third exhortation for communion. And this one is designed, according to the rubrics, it's designed to be read by the priest when he sees that the people are, quote, negligent to come to the Holy Communion. So listen to this excerpt. 
This starts about a little, little, little ways down the page. I bid you all who are here present and beseech you for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake that you will not refuse to come to the Holy Communion, being so lovingly called and bidden by God himself. Ye know how grievous and unkind a thing it is when a man hath prepared a rich feast, decked his table with all kind of provision, so that there lacketh nothing but the guests to sit down, and yet they who are called without any cause most unthankfully refuse to come. Which of you in such a case would not be moved? Who would not think a great injury and wrong done unto him? Wherefore, most dearly beloved in Christ, take ye good heed, lest ye, withdrawing yourselves from this holy supper, provoke God's indignation against you. It is an easy manner for a man to say, I will not communicate because I'm otherwise hindered with worldly business. But such excuses are not so easily accepted and allowed before God. If any man say, I am a grievous sinner, and therefore I am afraid to come, Wherefore then do ye not repent and amend? And when God calleth you, are ye not ashamed to say ye will not come? When ye should return to God, that means when you're before him in, 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 in the judgment, will ye excuse yourselves and say ye are not ready? Consider earnestly with yourselves how little such feigned excuses will avail before God. Those who refuse the feast and the gospel because they had bought a farm or would try their yokes of oxen or because they were married were not so excused but counted unworthy of the heavenly feast. Wherefore, according to mine office, I bid you in the name of God, I call you on, in Christ's behalf, I exhort you as ye love your own salvation that you will be partakers of this Holy Communion. And the exhortation goes on for a while after this. I would encourage you to read the whole thing for yourself sometime. And while the frequency of Holy Communion is a matter um, that, that we can reasonably disagree with other Christians about, after all, even 100 years ago, it wasn't uncommon in our circles and really all of, all of the church uh, to communicate only a few year, a few times a, a year, um, if not the clergy, at least the lady, that was the case. But nevertheless, we can all acknowledge that every Christian, according to Scripture, needs to come to the Lord's table. Our catechism tells us that the body and blood of the Lord strengthen and refresh our souls, just as the bread and wine strengthen and refresh our bodies. Our liturgy tells us that it, is, that it is by communion that we are given the pledge that God, um, a pledge by God that we have his favor and his goodness, that we are members of Christ's mystical body and are heirs of his kingdom. And our articles of religion tell us that the sacrament is a witness and a sign of God's grace, whereby he gives us life, he strengthens and confirms our faith, as we partake in the Christ's body and blood. Well, of course, just about everybody listening here today to this homily has already been convinced of these truths. In our Anglican circles, the church culture of today expects frequent, and really for most places, weekly communion. Rather than being negligent to come to communion, our tendency is more likely to treat communion a little bit too lightly. St. Matthew's virgin, version of today's parable, it addresses this with something that we don't have in Luke's version, and that is the man who came to the feast 
without that provided wedding garment, and then he's cast out of the feast. I find it interesting that the first two exhortations, which are found on pages 85 through 87 in the prayer book, those emphasize the need to come to communion in what is called a worthy manner. That is, they urge us to come to the Lord's table in faith and repentance, in love and charity with God and with our neighbor. Again, I'd encourage you to to read those sometime. They happen just after the communion liturgy in in our prayer books. The first and shorter of these is something that we typically read a few times a year at the major changes in the church year. I was supposed to read it at Trinity Sunday, but um, I, I must confess I forgot. In between services, Father Barry says, hey, weren't we supposed to read the exhortation? Yes, we will do it the second service. And then we forgot again. So there you go. Um, <laughs> maybe I'll get a sticky for the next time it's supposed to come up. Well, the truth is neglecting communion and coming to communion unworthily are often two sides of the same coin. Lame excuses, lack of repentance, or harboring hatred for our neighbor all boil down to exalting our will and our desires over God's. We say, in effect, to the Lord, no, my will be done. So rather what we need to do is we need to recognize that we are indeed the poor and crippled and blind and lame, spiritually speaking. We can't take care of ourselves and we need the master's table if we're going to survive. And this is the other aspect of our parable today. It's not just about the anger of the master at his invited guests who rejected the invitation. Rather, it's about the fact that he provided a banquet in the first place. The master's house will be filled. The master's feast was made to be enjoyed. Again, remember that the sacrament of, that the, sacrament of the Lord's table is also a sign. It's the sign of our salvation. We come to his table in remembrance of what he has done for us in his blessed passion and precious death, his mighty resurrection and glorious ascension. He feeds us with himself because we are his. And the invitation to become his, to have a place at this table, goes out to all. As we, as we say in our comfortable words from St. John's Gospel, so God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, to the end that all that believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. As we've said over the last two weeks, Trinity Tide is a time of growth, a time of sanctification. And such growth cannot come of ourselves. We can't make it happen. But rather, it's rooted in the very things our Lord gives us at his table. Communion with him, communion with each other, assurance of our salvation and assurance of his love. Last Sunday, we learned that only those who are loved can love in return. Well, today, we bid you to come to the Master's Feast, to taste his love, and then take it out to those in the highways and hedges as you go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And we say this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Let your light so shine before men that, you may, that, he, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven.